Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I bring you some of the greatest talent in the Central Florida arts community. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show, episode by episode. Hey guys, welcome back again. Another week, another show. I'm so excited because I've got a great guest for you this week. My guest is Catherine Stellinger. Now, Catherine has performed under many names. She's been known as Catherine Hart, Catherine Samaris, or her current married name, Catherine Causey. But Catherine Stillinger is not just one of the amazing co-workers I have worked with at a certain major theme park destination resort. She is an actress, a comedian, a singer, a dancer, an improviser, a musical theater powerhouse, and a former Miss Vermont. That is right. She competed in the Miss America pageant. She's going to tell us all about it in the Getting to Know You section. So we're going to get to the show right after I give a shout out to my newest tutti fruity, Paul K. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the family. Thank you so much. Paul is supporting the show through Patreon. You can do the same if you want to go to patreon.com slash facethefactspod. And that is where you can financially support the show for as little as a dollar a month. But back to this week. Catherine Stillinger and I watched Season 5, Episode 11, called The Second Time Around. And the original air date was December 14th, 1983. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Katherine Stillinger. Ladies and gentlemen, coming to me all the way from a little ways down I-4 and a couple of exits to the right, it is actress, singer, dancer, pageant queen, professional human cannonballist and former elbow model, Catherine Stellinger! Woo! And the crowd goes wild. Welcome! I am so excited to be here with you. I am so happy to talk to you. We have been talking for the better part of an hour at this I point. I can't believe 45. it. We've been just catching up because uh, there was a time we were working together full time and then careers happen, roles change, and you don't see as much of each other, and that sucks. It does, but I'm glad that we caught up, and I'm really excited to be here and talk about, you know, this episode. Let's get right to it, shall we? Do it. We watched Season 5, Episode 11, called The Second Time Around. The original air date was December 14th of 1983. It was written by Linda Marsh and Margie Peters. They are also executive producers of the show, And uh, they would go on to do Valerie in a different world, but they are best known, Catherine, to the Facts of Life aficionados as the women who fixed the show in season two. After a rocky season one, they were the ones that the producers brought in and said, fix this. And by all accounts, they did. Well, that's because you you always get women to fix things. You're just a maid around here. Mm What? That's I've heard that okay. a lot. Okay. Wow, that's uh, not what I thought. <laughs> My mother used to say that all the time. Just a maid around here. <laughs> but her voice was deeper. Um, so the episode was directed by Asad Kalada. 
He is the one who did most of the episodes of The Facts of Life. We have talked about him quite a bit at length. And uh, the title, The Second Time Around. Do you know to what that refers, Catherine? Well, I'm assuming it has to do with the second marriage, a second mm -hmm. uh, relationship. Yes, but it is the name of a song. Oh. And it was written in 1960. It was written by Sammy Kahn and Jimmy Van Heusen who are very well-known composers. And the song was written for the Blake Edwards film called High Time. And it was sung by, I believe, Bing Crosby. But uh, it turns out that it was actually popularized that same year because Sinatra recorded it. Mm -hmm. And that's what really sent it over the edge. But yeah. Before I was born, my, my dad was a disc jockey. Uh, oh. And so he was a, a radio disc jockey and he would play music all the time. And so oh God, yeah. uh, music was so much a part of my childhood and my life. Yeah, and, that'll give you an education, yeah. I'm sure. Uh, so I know all the songs wow. from the 50s and 60s. And cool. Well, before we get into the microscopic discussion of the plot of the episode, Catherine, I do like to ask my guests uh, if you had any sort of relationship with the facts of life. Did you watch it when it was originally aired? I did watch it, and I liked it a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I liked the fact that the friends were diverse. They weren't clicky. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I remember wishing I was more like Joe and less like Blair. <laughs> I mentioned it in your intro that you do have a background in pageants. And uh, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But yeah, I imagine that you, you would have been a Blair. I, yeah, up. I was a little boy crazy, um, but mm -hmm. I can tell you honestly, my best friend was uh, a girl just like Joe, and oh. um, I I had friends that uh, were like Tootie and Nat. I had I had all the different uh, levels of friends. I didn't just hang out with the jocks or hang out with the theater people. I just had friends mm -hmm. everywhere. So I could relate to that. I also liked the messages that some of them gave, that some of the episodes mm -hmm. gave. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they would deal with issues. It's, it is a show people forget. When you say Norman Lear, you think of All in the Family and Maud and the Jeffersons and the shows that kind of were a little more heavy hitting with the issues. But Different Strokes and Facts of Life were developed by Norman Lear. So they fall under that umbrella where they do tackle some not quite sitcom-y stuff and some pretty serious Well, things. those other sitcoms dealt with uh, issues that that pertain to adults. Facts of mm -hmm. Life and, and Different Strokes was the issues that pertained to people of a younger age. Yeah. No, you're right. You're totally right. And I think that's what its appeal was. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so you did enjoy the show the first time around. <laughs> you see what I did <laughs> I there? I <did. laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, um, as did I. That was, it was a big, big thing for me. And um, then before we get into the actual synopsis of the show, I always like to ask my guest if you would give us a, a broad summary of the episode. Just one or two sentences like you might see in a TV guide listing. Okay, uh, let's see. Joe's parents come to visit mm -hmm. and Joe struggles with their divorce and the minute they find friendship she takes that friendship and tries to 
uh, turn it into them getting back together again. Mm-hmm. And with unhappy results. Correct. Sadly. And uh, yes, that was great. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Are you ready to jump on I in? Am. Okay. Well, we start the episode at the house, we, meaning where the girls live. That is the area behind Edna's Edibles. I just have to say, Edna's Edibles, um, this is the, the G version. Uh, it's a whole <laughs> different thing if we were taping late at night. <laughs> yes. Matthew has always said the show is better if you think of it in terms of Edna's Edibles is actually a drug front. Yes. Way better show. <laughs> That's a Matthewism, and I, I cannot dispute it's it. true. <laughs> so, Mom and Dad Polnicek, whom we have met before, the character of the mother, Rose, is played by actress Claire Malis, M-A-L-I-S. This is her fourth of six appearances on the show in the role of Joe's mother. And then the dad is, of course, the amazing Alex Rocco. Uh, the character's name is Charlie. And Alex Rocco, this is his fifth of 11 appearances throughout the entire series as uh, as Nancy McKeon's dad. So Mrs. Garrett is giving them a tour of the shop. Now, the shop is still very new. We're only 11 weeks into season five. And Edna's Edibles is still very, very new and fresh. So they wouldn't have seen any of it. So Mrs. Garrett's showing them around and they're really complimentary of it. And uh, Joe is sitting at the desk and Mrs. Garrett does give credit where it is due. And she says, your daughter has been super helpful. And Joe is, in fact, at that point writing out checks. She's like, as soon as I finish writing out this last check, uh, we'll get going. And uh, and that is true. Joe has kind of taken on these last few weeks, the sort of the taskmaster uh, unofficial manager of the store where she's the one kind of like, okay, we've got to cut expenses. All right, we're not making any money. And I, I've been enjoying that. I like that. I almost wish they had taken it further as the series progressed and put her into more of a management type of a business sort of a, a role. Uh, but they, at some point later on in the show, ch- change gears and she suddenly wants to go into social work and helping underprivileged kids. I'm just like, well, pfft. Try making a bucket that lady. <laughs> but, uh, so what the parents are there for and what they're getting ready to go to is Joe is apparently competing in a dirt bike race. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm I'm very puzzled by this because Joe says uh, the, the Joe's mother says, I'm really worried. I'm always worried about this because it's, you know, your kid, you're afraid they're going to get hurt. And Joe's response is, Ma, I've been in hundreds of bike races. And I'm like, have you? <laughs> this is for, I've... yeah, we've heard that. But she, and then her response is, yes, but this is the first one I'm going to see in person. And I'm like, what well, is that somehow more dangerous? Yeah. And, and why haven't you, if she's been in hundreds of them, then the dad, Charlie, is like, ah, don't worry. It's just stupid for you to worry. Our daughter's going to be the regional dirt bike champ. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we know that Joe likes bikes. I'm putting, I'm using air bunnies mm-hmm. to make quotation marks. We know that she's into bikes and we know that she has a motorcycle. But am I right? I, I don't claim to know anything, but... Isn't a dirt bike a very different type of vehicle than a motorcycle? Uh, yes, you would try. You would you would use it differently. Yeah, and 
you owning a motorcycle doesn't mean you could just enter it into a dirt bike race. So you wonder where did she get the equipment? You wonder how did she afford the leather jacket that she's wearing when we know she's on scholarship and money is always tight. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, so it's just puzzling to me because it's like, well, if you've been in hundreds of these bike races, why have we not heard any? Uh, we, we've never, ever before this heard of her. We've heard of her going to them, going to a bike race. But we've never, ever seen or experienced her competing in one. So this is really odd and a little uh, little off kilter for me. Just saying. Well, I think they just needed a reason to get them there. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's the thing. And it's a 1980s sitcom. So they do that. Then we have Natalie come down from upstairs. And Natalie is upset because her mother has fixed her up on a blind date. And we've, we've established many times before Natalie... Uh, Natalie's Jewish, and her mother is kind of the stereotypically meddlesome Jewish mother. Mm -hmm. So this is not the first blind date she set her up on, and other ones have been disasters. And uh, Mrs. Garrett makes a very good suggestion. She says, take along a friend and make it a double date. So no sooner does that happen, and Tootie comes in. Now, Tootie is wearing her Eastland uniform. So Tootie was at school at Eastland, where she still goes. And... uh, she greets the parents. She knows them. She's met them before. And when Natalie asks what she's doing that night, Tootie says, I have a date with my boyfriend, Jeff. So this is interesting because her boyfriend, Jeff, we met him six episodes ago. And it was still kind of up in the air what was going to be the future of their relationship. Because, Catherine, it was discovered that Jeff is illiterate. <gasps> So, and his friends were helping him cheat on exams so that he would pass because he was such a big football star. And it was left up in the air like, you know, you need to fess up and you need to catch up academically if you're going to go to college on a football scholarship because you're not going to last there. So the big question was, was he going to do it? Was he going to kind of admit that he has a problem with reading and writing and needs extra tutoring or whatever. It was all left completely up in the air. So the fact that Tootie is with Jeff right now, I'm like, oh, good. They're still together. Yay. That took six weeks to get confirmation. Hmm. And spoiler alert, Catherine, they are going to get married. (gasps) They are going to have a daughter. I cannot believe you ruined it for me. And he's going to (laughs) die. I know. (laughs) So anyway, Natalie basically says, that sounds great. Whatever the thing is that you're doing, I'm going to tag along with you and Jeff and bring my date. So then there's some fun interplay with the parents as Mrs. Garrett is about to show them the kitchen and pack a picnic lunch for them to enjoy while Joe is racing in this fictional dirt bike race. And as soon as they leave the room, Joe jumps up for joy. She is happier than I think we have ever seen Joe. And it's like Blair is sitting there reading a magazine and she's like, what are you so happy about? And Joe's like, they're getting along. And how it ends with basically her saying, I think they might be getting back together. Who knows what could happen? And then she uh, has a funny line where she says, "Uh, yeah, statistics show that one out of every three divorces ends in marriage. Yes, remember that. And it's like, yeah. 
and uh, that is that is wrong. I think the statistics at the time in 83 was one out of every three marriages ends in divorce, and that number has gone up. It has. It has. Yeah. Um, I found it interesting that Blair um, didn't have much to say, and I was like, the whole time uh, when she was doing this, why doesn't she just get, you know, get her up uppity and, and just go, listen, I know all about divorce and, you know, mm -hmm. from the get go. But she didn't. She just kept her. Yeah. I was like, she kind of. Yeah. She played her hand close to the vest and waited till later when Blair does finally step up and say, OK, yeah. when the script calls for her to talk. To yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. This is a little bit early. And honestly, I wonder if there might have been some cuts made or something because Joe is so super happy and we know she's a one track mind. Like, I don't think even Blair could have peed in those Cheerios and made her unhappy. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, anyhow, and here's the other interesting thing. They kind of alluded to this a little bit at the end of last season. During the graduation episode, Charlie, the dad, he had been out of, prison he had served a couple years he'd been out of prison a couple years he was kind of finally getting his life on track and he does do some really nice chivalrous apologetic things for the mother as kind of a thank you for being the one who stood by and raised their daughter and saw her through to being the valedictorian of their class and all that so there is this very nice reconciliation as friends, there's sort of a a clearing of the air and some sense of, oh, these are not divorced parents who hate each other as much as we had thought before. Right. And I, I agree with that. And I, I can relate to that. What I couldn't relate right. to, and I think why uh -huh. Joe might have been confused, is he kept calling his ex-wife babe. Yeah. That's creepy. Yeah. You're divorced. I, you don't call me babe. Yeah, call her Rose. That's her name. Yeah. Yeah. It was Yeah. And I just thought that was very strange. Yeah. And that's I think all dramatic misdirect as well. Because if you look at their body language and the way they're playing it, you can see you can see the affection. The actors are great and they're great together, I mm -hmm. think. I love the two of them and their chemistry I think is is particularly good. And we've seen this before. So I think that the the fact that he was always putting his hand on her back or taking her by the elbow, there was all this other stuff where it's like, yeah, if of all of her complaints, when Joe gets upset later, of all of her complaints, she could have said, then why were you calling her babe? Why were you touching her so much? It's right. like... Fuck, Dad. You know, that's creepy if there's another woman in your life. But, 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 I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. Far ahead of myself. And that will not do. Uh, so the scene ends there. And then we go on to the next scene. And it's just later the same night. And what happens is they bring Joe in. And Joe is limping. And she's got her arm in a cast. And she's got dirt on her face. Joe got injured during the dirt bike race. She fell off her bike. Yeah. 
And and they're like freaking out, and the parents are. And what basically comes to pass is Rose says, "Look, Charlie, you go back without me. I'll get I'll get time off from work. I'm gonna stay with her to make sure she's okay." And Charlie says, "Well, let me do it. Let me stay here too. I'll get us. I like that he says I'll get us a couple of rooms at the motel. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. That was that was helpful." Mm-hmm. Um, and Mrs. Garrett says, "We'll come back for breakfast." And yes, and Rose even says, "Charlie, I'm so glad that you're here." As they exit, more misdirection. And speaking of misdirection, as soon as they're out of the room, Catherine, what happens? Okay, Joe pops up, whips off the arm sling, and she's dancing around so excited. Uh, She is faking the whole damn thing. That's right. She rolled a bike on purpose. She basically says this is like the classic plot of an injured kid bringing their family back together. They're ready. And she says, I can smell it. Um, <laughs> ew. <laughs> but Blair is like, uh, you might want to. Blair does have a cautious angle. Blair doesn't lay it out yet. Blair is just telling her. Eh. And Joe's, Joe's spin is Joe's. Uh, Self-delusion is all I have to do is limp around and let nature take its course. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So then we go to, I don't know if it's the next morning or a subsequent morning of that same weekend. Uh, But um, we we have the parents over. They're enjoying breakfast. And, oh, it has to be the next morning because we have a recap of the blind date. That's right. Between, with Tootie and Natalie. And uh, we come in with, Tootie says, well, didn't go well because Jeff is the star quarterback at Bates. Catherine, that is true. That is canon. We do know that. that. That is verified in earlier episodes. And she says, he recently had a football game. I'm sorry. He recently had a, a some sort of a football injury because another player nearly tore his arm out of its socket. So it was like a bad injury and an almost fight in the course of a game, well, guess who the other guy was? Natalie's, Natalie's date. Mm-hmm. So they say they were growling and yelling at each other. Oh, and the pizza got and, thrown. And pizza got thrown, That's yes. right. They didn't mind having pizza the next day because they technically didn't have pizza because they just watched it go by as it was being yeah. thrown. Yes. And uh, then we have a little, like I said, I'm very happy with this. Even though we have Joe on the dirt bike, other littler points are uh, continuing uh, with earlier stuff that has happened. So the way 80 sitcoms so often contradict themselves and all that. uh, This is these are all good little things about Tootie and Jeff, about the quarterback and the parents having good chemistry and a friendly relationship. But then they drop one of these. Tootie says, I haven't been in a food fight since fifth grade. And turns to Natalie and says, and you were responsible for that too. And Natalie's punchline is, I add spice to your life. And they both, ha ha ha, and leave. No! No! No, Catherine, I say no! Piffle and poppycock! Why, David? Tell me! Tootie saying that she was in fifth grade and that Natalie was there, meaning at the Eastland School where they were students at a younger time. Tootie began Eastland in the sixth grade. She states this explicitly at the end of season six in the interview show. And already 
being in the sixth grade at Eastland is also fucked up because Eastland being a boarding school, it's like, okay, so it's a, it's a junior high and a high school, right? So seven, eight, and in some places, ninth grade is junior Mm -hmm. high, but the idea is grades seven through 12. That would make sense for a boarding school. But when Tootie says, I started Eastland in sixth grade, and now we're backing that up to fifth grade, I'm like, so why were there not grammar school aged girls and little, like six-year-olds? Why were there not teeny tiny little kids at the Eastland cafeteria all those years that we were feeding them each and every day? So I, I do not, I reject this statement. It is not canon. No. Tootie is having a fever dream and she's just spouting nonsense, I tell you. Thank goodness you're here to make sure everyone stays on the up and up. You're welcome, America. <sighs> okay, I think we feel better now. I know I do. <laughs> so, mother says, I'm going back. And she says, uh, the dad says he has something to talk to Joe about. And so Blair says, I'll drive you to the station. Mrs. Garrett excuses herself to give them privacy. (laughs) And remember, you may join me at any time if you wish or are so inspired, Catherine, to do a bad Mrs. Garrett impression. You may join me in my bad Mrs. Garrett impression. But the deal is um, he struggles with telling Joe this news he's got to tell her. And finally, he says, I think I'm going to get married again. And she's like, "Uh uh-huh. And he says, somehow, I think you're going to love this woman. And she's like, Uh uh uh-huh. And this woman has a terrific daughter. Oh, go on. (laughs) And she has a son. What? What? Well, she has a daughter and a son. He's like eight years old and having some problems at school, but he's a good kid and all that. He just needs a dad. And she's like, wait. Who the what the fucking fuck is happening? I'm, I'm paraphrasing. A little bit. And the dad refers to some woman named Carol. This is this other woman in his life that he thinks she's going to like. And Joe explodes. Joe legitimately loses her shit. But she should. You don't all of a sudden say, uh, by the way, I've been dating somebody. By the way, yeah. I'm engaged to somebody. Um, and you've mm-hmm. never met them? You don't even know about them? Yeah. This is her life. I mean, yeah, they, they, they try to kind of gloss over it like it happened faster than I planned sort of a deal. But no, you at least, I mean, that's a phone call. I'm dating somebody. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? And to suddenly spring it on her that he's getting married. Well, Joe explodes with, how could you do this to mom and me? How could you lie like that? We were like a family. It was all a lie. Well, you walked out on us before, and you're walking out on us again. And this time, get out and stay out. And then, Catherine, what does she do? She walks up the stairs and out. She does the dramatic running up the stairs. That's right. She has a tantrum. And just leaves. That is how the act of the show ends. We are at the end of act one, where the commercial break is. So, Catherine, during the commercial break, I'd like to take a little time and get to know my guest and talk to you about your life and your career and uh, what brought you here. So, if I may, Mm -hmm. Catherine, let us start. Where were you born? Well, I was born in Plattsburgh, New York, but I moved to Vermont when I was six I think six months old, 
And that's where mm-hmm. I spent um, all my childhood there. Did you move there alone or were you with your family? I actually had help. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, my parents actually brought me there. And uh, You weren't a six-month-old that just went, fuck this town, I hate it, I'm getting out. Well, I did, but I still needed help <laughs> because I only had a permit. I didn't have my driver's license yet. Oh, yeah, that's those damn New England, they, stricter laws. They do, they do. Like the stickers on your car, really? Come on. Um, so, uh, so you were raised mostly in Vermont? Burlington, Vermont. That's where I spent most of my time. And then as soon as I graduated high school, which I graduated early um, mm-hmm. and went to college when I was 15 years old. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then went back to my high school and performed uh, in a dinner theater as Sandy Dombrowski in Greece ah. at night. And during the day, I went to school up until about uh, noon. And then I would come home, take a nap, do my homework, and then and then go to the theater. So, so, so you were a teenager, like, a, like literally in your teen years. I was 16, yep. 16, going to college and professionally performing and making money as an actress, musical theater. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's, that is insane. I mean, I, I know your talent level. That doesn't really surprise me, but just holy shit. That's, that's, that's no small feat. That's no small accomplishment. Uh, what college did you study at? Well, um, I went to Shenandoah College and Conservatory of Music in Virginia. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I put myself through college, so I didn't really have enough money after the first year. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I had to do was in the in the summers, I would work in, as a singing waitress. The singing waitress provided me all of the money. Whereas yeah. if you were in doing summer stock, you only made like $100 a week. You didn't make yeah. much money. But the theater was great, and the experience was great. That's how I put myself through through college. And now, where do the pageants uh, come in? Because I have, I don't believe I've ever known a tiara head. A tiara head is that what they call? That's you? what I call myself. Um, <laughs> I'm, I I jumped in it by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, my senior year of college, my tap teacher, uh, who I then became. She couldn't teach tap dancing in West Virginia, nearby uh, Virginia. She mm-hmm. couldn't teach on Saturdays, she, so she asked me to teach the class for, ex- huh. for extra money. So I did. Um, she then said, if you will sign up for this pageant, this local pageant, I'll give you everything. Shoes, dresses, I'll, oh. I'll even get the music for you. I'll do everything. So I did it. And I didn't win. I was first. Oh. I was first runner-up. My girlfriend was the winner, and oh, yeah? and they came back and said to me. the The judges said, "You know, we just couldn't decide which one of you should win, and we decided to go with a classical singer opposed to a musical theater singer." Wow! But if you come back and uh, do another pageant, you could be like. I don't know, Miss Peanut. I don't know what it was. It was something weird. And um, and the two of you will compete at the level that you just did, but for states, for the state pageant. Mm-hmm. 
And I said, quite honestly, it would mean not walking uh, and graduating uh, because it was that weekend. And I also said, if I'm going to represent a state, it's not going to be Virginia. It's going to be Vermont. Um, the fact that Vermont paid $13,500 and to win. And, wow. and I had, um, I had student loans to pay back mm -hmm. right after I graduated. So I was kind of yeah. like, oh yeah, I'll take your money. I'll put on that. Seat. You had already, yeah. And you had already kind of dipped your toe in the pageant pool. So you were like, I'm go up there and do their, well, she, you know, Candy, my girlfriend, she was so kind. She was like, I, I got everything for you and go wow. ahead and do it. So I did it. Um, but I had gone to New York city and auditioned for, uh, the tour of me and my girl. And a week before the Miss Vermont pageant, I received a call saying, we want you to be the understudy for Lady Jacqueline um, wow. and in the chorus. So I, I was on tour. I was ready to go. I was so excited. I loved the show. And the pictures of me winning Miss Vermont Mm -hmm. You realize it's my face and I'm looking at my parents in the audience going, what do I do now? I have two jobs. <laughs> yeah. I just said, yes, oh, that's right. I just said yes to both things. Um, uh, it was, it was, that's right. You forget winning a pageant is you, you, uh, that is a job. That's, that's your job for a year mm -hmm. where you have to walk around at, to ribbon cuttings and talk shows mm -hmm. and, and i i worked on uh seatbelts i worked on uh stranger danger back then i worked on um smoke outs you know, like uh, the national smoke smoke out oh yeah the great american smoke yeah out. that yeah, was that year that was a big thing um yeah and i did i did all that uh i performed and uh, you know i i i don't know what i did i judged cows and and I had everything out at county <laughs> stuff. each club, yeah, state fairs, and all that. So, how did you handle the two job thing? I called. I called the uh, company, and I was honest with them. And I said, I don't know what I have to do. I actually committed to your tour first, and they were yeah. so cool. And they were like, when the thing is, you're like, and it's a pageant. I didn't think I was going to win. I mean, I think there's, you yeah, know, uh, um, there, there. You could certainly have been honest with that. And she goes, she goes. Uh, no, you have to go to Miss America. This is just a, this is just a show. Don't worry about it. There'll yeah. be other ones. And we appreciate your honesty and, you know, your, you know, don't worry about it. And it turns mm -hmm. out that as soon as Miss America pageant was over, um, I got a phone call from them saying the girl who played Lady Jacqueline was leaving the tour. Oh. And they asked me to come in and play Lady Jacqueline, not be wow. not be the understudy, but to Man. actually play it. So for the rest of my my uh, reign as Miss Vermont, I was performing Lady Jacqueline in Me and My Girl. Man, now in the Miss America pageant, that is different than the Miss Universe thing because that's Correct. by country. Yeah, so the states is the the big one, the Miss America pageant. Yes. And so what happens? You go and you do a competition that's not televised, and that's where the top 10 
are chosen. There are three knights. There are yeah. there are three knights. Oh, okay. There are three knights, and each knight mm-hmm. is a different um, talent. So by the time we get to the third night of the pageant, that is what is televised. So when the top ten are announced, the girls don't know until that moment that they're doing their stuff that night on national television. Well, they they are. Am I correct? They. What we know is we know who, at least at the time, it, things have changed and morphed since mm-hmm. then. Um, we know who the night's winner was for talent, swimsuit, or um, gotcha. evening gown. So that night, when they announce it after the opening number, that's yeah. when we find out. But while we are on stage, um, all of the hostesses are backstage and your station is completely picked up and moved closer to the wings and all, and you're, and you're moved out of the way if you're not in the top 10. And that's why every, every single thing you own says Miss Vermont on it. Your, your shoes, your hairbrush, everything, your hairspray has to have it on there because they grab it all while you're on stage finding out who's the winner and they move it oh. to a certain, a new place. Oh, so it isn't just you find out if you're in the top 10 on stage, you get off stage and your shit's been packed up and moved off. Oh, it's, it's moved. Damn. Uh-huh. That's harsh. <laughs> it is. That is, that is, that is harsh. Man. I just went through a box in my attic and found shoes that say Miss Vermont on them. And I just chuckled because I was like, Oh, I still have something that says Miss Vermont. They don't fit my feet, but <laughs> they're there. <laughs> wow. And so what got you, what brought you to Disney? After that, I did two more national tours. Oh, what shows? Ziegfeld and uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blonde. Nice. And then after that, I decided to get married. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to. Like you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to start a family. But I, so I was ready to give up the the business because I didn't think you could uh, successfully have a family with a a swing set in the backyard and Mm -hmm. still work as a performer. I wasn't at the level that I could have a backyard and a swing set and that's and a a nanny and a nanny. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I, I needed to make a choice. Um, and at that point, we decided that if I could find a nine to five where I was still performing that had sick time and benefits, that that would be mm-hmm. great. And you know what that you know what that is? What is that, Catherine? That's called Disney. <gasps> oh, my God. You're totally right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. I came here and worked. And, and um, thanks to Disney, I I learned so many new skills. And I was able to have not one child, but two children. Um, and I, I have a great life, but I worked for Disney for, and still do, um, yeah. 26 years. Wow. And give me a quick rundown of the highlights of the shows and, uh, and roles that you did. Like you uh, were in the um, Diamond Horseshoe Review? The Diamond Horseshoe, uh, that was Jubilee. Then I did the review. And that I played two characters there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I moved to uh, Streetmosphere, which mm-hmm. later became Citizens of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Then went to the Castle Stage, 
where I was an assistant to Snow White's Evil Queen. Uh-huh. Nice. Um, Hoop-dee-doo and Backyard Barbecue and... Frozen Sing Along. Oh, yeah. Frozen Sing Along. Thanks for, for, for yeah. pimping me on that one. I forgot. And then uh, went back to Citizens of Hollywood. Um, in the early days, when I was just kind of finding my footing at Citizens of Hollywood, you were such a great help to me. And uh, I mean, you already hold a dear place in my heart, but that especially as far as your 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 mom instincts kicked in, you you held me close to your bosom and <laughs> helped nurture me into being a, a more confident performer. And uh, I so love that. And I always love working with you, my darling. I love you, too. And and I it was easy to support you because um, you had all the gifts and the talent you just needed someone to tell you and remind you of that. That's all mm -hmm. you needed. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I got to do that. Oh, well, thank you. But Catherine Stillinger. Mm-hmm. David Almeida. Enough about you. Thank you. We need to get back to the facts of life and see what is going to happen with this conundrum of Joe willfully deluding herself into thinking that her parents might be getting back together. So, shall we get back to it? Yes, I'm on pins and needles. <laughs> so, uh, we come back from the commercial, and it is Rose's apartment. That's Joe's mom. And we've been here before. And the thing I have, I had to remember that show, too. I was like, this isn't just Rose's apartment. This is where Joe lives when she's not at school. This is Joe's home. Joe shows up because it is her assumption on top of... Joe is usually so practical, Catherine. And the fact that she is still living in this sort of pipe dreamland of the stuff that I have created in my head has to be true. So I created this relationship that's not there, and now I'm furious that it is not that way. Now she shows up at her mother's place, and she's like, well, clearly, because Dad has dropped this bombshell on me, you need me here to support you because you're absolutely devastated right no she was uh, not she was yeah. totally okay with it yeah she even said uh yeah the only thing that upsets me is that he found someone first <laughs> he found somebody <laughs> first yeah that's yeah. what upset her it's awesome that's a great great true god talk about you know truth and drama the truthfulness of that how many of us have thought things mm -hmm. of such anyway um so Knock, knock at the door. It's Charlie, the dad. Joe starts to storm out. They try to back and forth. He tries. It's, she's just being so damn fly off the handle. It's like, Joe, would you just calm the fuck down and listen to somebody? This is me now, not anybody in the show. Right. And so Charlie lands on, I think I'm going to postpone the wedding. And... And, and Joe is like, ah, there we go. Yes, yes, that's what needs to happen. You need to postpone the wedding. And now Joe's mom steps in and she's like, fuck to the no, he's not going to postpone his wedding because you're being a little brat. You're a bully. She calls her, she calls her a bully. And she yes. is. I was paraphrasing before, but you are not. She says, Joe, all your life you've been a bully, but you're not going to bully us into getting back together again. That's pretty harsh coming from mom, but God, it is needed. She's a good mom. She is. I, again, I love, I love this actress. I love it. Mm -hmm. um, 
So um, he says that he hasn't even told Carol yet, this woman that Joe hasn't met. And it's like, what? You're, you're going to put this off for the daughter and not even tell the fiance? What the shit? <laughs> I'm not sure that this relationship is actually going to work with Carol if she's always the last to know things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Joe still gets mad. Um, th- the fact that her mother is now advocating for the dad and for the marriage infuriates Joe all over again. And she screams, right is right and wrong is wrong and this is wrong. And she storms out again and runs off. (sighs) We had another episode earlier and I can't pinpoint it at the moment in my memory, but it was one of those, Joe, every time. Oh, it was when it was when the dad, when we first met her dad and she wasn't going to let him back into her life. And Mrs. Garrett called Joe out and said, Joe, every time something gets difficult and the going gets tough, you run away. And we've had many episodes along the way talking about Joe's evolution, how, Joe, you're growing, you're deepening, you're becoming a more complex uh, adult and all that. And Joe's behavior is such a regression to the, the super tough chick that showed up over three years ago. Right at the beginning of season two. So it's, ugh, I, I wish I liked Joe better in this. Joe is fine. And Nancy McKean is crushing it from an acting standpoint. Mm-hmm. But the, the thing is, I'm like, ooh, character wise, this is really a, a many, many steps backwards for the evolution of Joe. But is it? Because I have to say, um, when you get to a raw emotion, you tend to um, regress back to what you know works. So mm-hmm. yes, she evolved, but she's still 19 years old and yeah. her, and she, you know, things aren't going the way she wants. And so without even thinking the knee jerk reaction is she regresses back to the behavior that she did and worked yeah. so many years. Yeah. I mean, I guess she's susceptible to it. And I forget that we do have a little bit of information coming up here that does reveal something that could actually justify that a bit. So you you are being more forgiving than I, and that's probably the better way to go. Um, so she comes back home, and Mrs. Garrett is there. And Mrs. Garrett, thankfully, through sitcoms, your mother phoned ahead to let me know you were coming back. And... Remember, Peekskill is like an hour out of New York. There is a lot of back and forthing. To, to it's like <laughs> they must really care about each other because they they're driving and riding a lot. And there's no cell phones. No, no, not at all. And and here's the other thing. And Joe is riding her dirt bike. Apparently, <laughs> I imagine those don't get as good a mileage on the road as a standard motorcycle, which we always thought she had before. Uh, this. You're not you're not allowed to ride a dirt bike on the roads. <laughs> They're not street legal. And then they go up to the bedroom. This is only the second or third time. This is still early in the Edna's Edibles years. And now we're in the bedroom where we have been before. And Blair is there. And Joe does make a comment about trying to get some privacy. Joe's just having a, I'm pissed off at the world and all that. And uh, interesting little thing. She says to Blair, why aren't you out on a date? Like, why the fuck do you have to be here now? And Blair looks at her and says, very coyly, well, I'd say nobody asked me, but 
I know you wouldn't believe me. <laughs> and the other thing is that Blair has been seeing this boy Cliff quite seriously. Uh, a few weeks ago, we discovered Cliff's deep, dark secret that he secretly dances at a Chippendales-like strip club for years. So we don't know where that ended up, but I know Cliff is coming back down the road. So I'm kind of like, well, interesting. I wonder where Cliff is in all of this. If they even took that into consideration, I would argue no. It was a Cliff note. Oh, or a cliffhanger. See? Damn it! Why didn't I think of that when I did that episode? (laughs) That they literally, the episode literally ended on a cliffhanger. I have to go back and re-edit that show now. Okay. I have to re-edit the show and make myself seem clever. You're okay. welcome. <laughs> yes. So, um, Blair says, and this is really cool. Blair says, do you want to talk about it? And Joe is like, well, my dad was about to call the wedding off and my mother called the wedding back on. What the hell? And then in comes Mrs. Garrett. No sooner. Like, it's like, bim, bam, boom, Mrs. Garrett. Joe, your father's downstairs. It's like, well, they should have just fucking carpooled for how much? <laughs> anyway, um, Blair intervenes here and steps up and says. Yes, she does say I'm I'm well versed in stepdads and and um, step siblings. And, you know, you think they're cuter than I am. They're younger. They're newer. Yeah. yeah. And the beauty and this is this is very revelatory. And we she, when when Blair says every time a new step came out of the woodwork, I always thought, oh, well, there's a little less love for Blair. Mm-hmm. And that's like, oh, yeah, I wish almost that there had been a little more talk of the kids bringing up the kids earlier when Joe was at the mother's apartment about calling off the wedding. You almost wish that that had been just touched on maybe once more. In between, because this makes sense. It's like, oh, Joe is having a meltdown because there's other kids involved. So then then the dad comes into the room yes. and, and, and Joe goes, you're not allowed to be here. And Blair goes, well, I invited. It's my room, too, and he can be here. And now I'm leaving my room. And yeah. <laughs> leaves, and then... <laughs> And then Edna's like, well, he probably got tired of waiting, dear, downstairs. <laughs> There's your Mrs. Garrett. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for that. I love it. Then we just have more back and forth thing. And it's kind of like rehashing the same shit and Joe getting upset and all that. And um, Joe says, I thought you and mom had something going, but you're only friends. And he says, yeah, and it took us a long time to get to being friends. And Joe says, it just felt like we were close and that you cared about mom and me. It just felt like we were a family. And he says, well, we are close and I love both of you. And Joe says, I know. And then he says, but Joe, we'll never be a family again. Freeze frame, roll credits. What the hell? What was that? <laughs> the la- I'm going to say that again. The last line of the episode is, but Joe, we'll never be a family again. Uh, you know, and Nancy McKeon has a moment to think about it. We do have kind of the look before the freeze, but it's just like, what, what an odd, this is a situation comedy here. What a fucking Debbie Downer way to end the episode. 
Mm-hmm. What did you think about this? It's very dramatic. I have to say, though, that when I was going through the divorce that I went through, mm-hmm. um, things like this episode of Facts of Life um, taught me things. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we need to be friends. We need to work as a unit, as a parental unit. Mm-hmm. We're not family. Mm-hmm. But we are, we will always be your parents. Um, I have to say that, um, it took me two years from the time that I asked for a divorce to the time it was finalized. And people don't realize that. Yeah, it's a long, painful process. Yeah. I also asked a lot of people how to handle introducing a new love interest. Yeah. And, you know, I I never, it didn't just happen. It was a slow process. And yeah, you didn't go to your kids and say, mom is getting married again. Woohoo! It's like, yeah, Yeah. it's, and and most experts will say that you need to do that. And, and yes, that all of that stuff is, is, is super important. And I have, I have a sort of an addendum I would like to add to this episode. I typically talk about doing a rewrite or sending notes back to the writers in my time machine Mm -hmm. to tell them how to fix the episode to my liking because the show exists to make me happy and nothing else. As it does. Yes, it does, David. I don't know if you knew that. I know it. I'm going to go here with how we could have ended this episode. What it is in my head, I hope it sounds as good when it comes out of my mouth because this could have run, covered a lot of ground and brought a lot of things home. As opposed to, we'll never be a family again. I would tweak it and have her say, it just felt like we were close and that you cared about mom and me. It felt like we were a family. What if Joe had said, but clearly it's obvious that we're not a family anymore and I don't have a family. Mm -hmm. And that's where he could have said, "Uh, Joe, your mother and I are still your family. We're just not married anymore. And by the way, I don't know if you've looked around at where you are. Maybe you've been so busy helping Mrs. Garrett put the store together, but you live in a house with four other women who care about you very deeply. Mm -hmm. You share a bedroom that I'm standing in now with three other teenaged girls, and you do that voluntarily because you want to be with them and they want to be with you. It would have been great for him to have a line to say something like, Joe, I hate to have to be the one to tell you this, but you have a family. Yeah. Instead of it being like Joe had built up this thing with her parents and then this thing with these other kids are coming in and they're going to be the focus. And clearly all of this beautiful, happy stuff that I perceived is a lie. There is no happy. And then had the dad say, "There's the happy is all around you. You're just looking at it wrong. I think that could have been a super crazy, powerful episode. And it could have also reinforced a bit this somewhat ridiculous premise that all of them do live in this house and run this store when two of them could be living off at a boarding school and the others could still be living in the dorms. You know what I mean? Yeah. He could have said, you do have a family. We are a family. And your family is growing. Because I Mm -hmm. can tell you, to bring this around to modern day, 
we are in a pandemic. And even though I've been divorced for seven years, my ex-husband has been over to the house maybe five times Mm -hmm. for dinner. I have brought over meals. Um, Mm -hmm. They, um, we have all spent Christmases together because my statement was, I will not make you choose between your mother and your father. You, you have us both. Yeah. And it's not typical. It's not traditional, but Mm -hmm. it puts the children's needs and feelings first. Yeah. And, and that is what makes the most sense. And it just ended too soon. And that's it. And yes, and that's really what I'm all coming to is just that the ending did feel a little too abrupt. And it was not a resolution. It was a statement of the problem again, of the fact that this entire episode has been Joe feeling like her world is falling apart. And it ends with dad saying, yep, your world's falling apart. Well, it's like I wanted it to have it's like, no, what the episode needed conceptually was some way to say, Joe, your world is not falling apart. It's just different than the way you were imagining it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So, Catherine, we're at the end of the episode. I know. You know what that means? What does that mean? That means I have to say goodbye to you. Oh, but I'm not going to let you do that just yet. Oh, no. Okay. No, we have one more task I put before you. Oh, okay. And this is just, this is great because like I said, this episode ended on a stone cold bummer. Let's try to lighten the mood and let's talk about classic commercials. Mm -hmm. A commercial from your childhood that might have a jingle or something, or just a commercial that you think is fun. Name a random commercial. Uh, The Coca-Cola commercial where they're on the hill and the hippies are all passing the Coke and yes. they're singing. Um, yeah. Coca-Cola, I want... Coca-Cola, not the, not the Coca-Cola, right. Coca-Cola, yeah. Coca-Cola. Um, <laughs> Coca-Cola. <laughs> it's like you're stuttering or something at the moment. Coca-Cola. <laughs> but they um, sing the song. <gasps> yes. Sing it. Um, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. So there it is. That's my favorite yeah. commercial. I'd like to buy the world a Coke. Coca-Cola. Keep it company. Coca-Cola. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you said the hippies, I mean, it, it was very, it was like a 1970 or 71 commercial. So it did, it definitely had that uh-huh. kind of peace and love, man, totally cool. Thank you so much for that. Catherine, my love, we have been on the phone a long time and I could still spend a few more hours just gabbing with you. Oh my goodness, I have to go to the restroom. I n- no, you're not allowed. You should have <laughs> oh, okay. gone before we podcast. I should have, I should have. <laughs> I'm not pulling this car over. Yeah. <laughs> or this so podcast. That means, yeah, no, no, no stopping. We're, we've already, this train has left the station. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that means that we need to, we need to do this again soon just to gab and catch up. So I would love that for that. You are one of, you are one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. Oh, start. (laughs) That is so sweet. I adore you, my darling. Thank you so much for wanting to do the show. Thank you for giving me your time this afternoon. And, uh, as we sign off, I'm just going to say smooches and goodbye. Smooches back at you.
And there you have it. That was Catherine Stillinger. Ugh, I miss working with her, damn it. But someday, someday, it will happen again. I know it will. The only thing I didn't get to say on the show that I meant to was that in the bedroom scene when Blair is telling Joe how she felt whenever she had new step-siblings added into her family, that's another one of those moments where Mrs. Garrett's presence is really unnecessary. She's really a footnote, kind of, in the whole episode. This is one where the girls are starting to handle things on their own. And, and I guess that's kind of good. That's a natural evolution for the show. But uh, as we know from Charlotte Ray's memoir, this was certainly an ongoing problem where, as the girls got older and able to handle their own problems, Mrs. Garrett's presence really wasn't needed. So you get it. You understand why she was starting to think about wanting to leave the show. Anyway, that's all for this week, but next week I'm going to be watching Season 5, Episode 12, The Christmas Show. And my special guest is going to be actor, improviser, and writer, Garen Jones. You can watch the episode for free at dailymotion.com. I will post the link in the show notes, and you can also find it at this episode's webpage. That's all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show, and remember... The facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle Face the Facts Pod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash face the facts pod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs> <laughs>